0: Open up your Bibles today to Daniel chapter 8. After about six weeks in Daniel chapter 7, we've graduated to Daniel chapter 8. All right. Let's pray and ask God's help once again as we look at the 8th chapter of Daniel. Father, help us now as we just sang of these ancient words. Lord, we pray that you would do what you will through them. Thank you for the book of Daniel and especially this 8th chapter as you unravel for us certainties of what we can count on and why your word is true and can be trusted. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. In Daniel chapter 8, What we have here is for the third time, God gives to Daniel an interpretation of a dream. And all three dreams mean the same thing. Nebuchadnezzar's dream was about four kingdoms that would come. Daniel chapter 7 was about four beasts that would come, representing those four kingdoms. Daniel chapter 8 takes the second and third kingdom, second and third beast, and goes deeper into detail about them. What is fascinating about biblical prophecy is when we think of something prophetic like this, our minds, when we read it, always go to the future. Prophecy is always future. However, not all prophecy is still future. Prophecies in the Scripture have already been fulfilled, some of them. For Daniel, this was future. But for us, it is history. And what we're going to see in Daniel chapter 8 is the certainty of God's Word. What God has said would happen, happened. That God's word can be trusted. If God has given such detailed events that would happen in Daniel's day about the future, and they happened exactly as he said, then we can trust God for everything that he has said would happen from now on. God can be trusted. God keeps his word. This is the songs we've sang already this morning. Every promise of your word is true. This is what we see in Daniel chapter 8. And it's it's a it's an interesting one. Another one that involves some beasts and horns and stuff like that. I mean, if you've been paying attention in Daniel, Daniel gets, it's a little weird, right? (laughs) I mean, you have to sift through the symbolism because, again, this is uh, apocalyptic literature, and apocalyptic literature is filled with symbols and symbolic images that help us understand what's going on. And so let's do that. Let's do that in Daniel chapter 8, verse 1. In the third year, Daniel says, of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. If you remember, the first five chapters of Daniel is a story of his life with some very important events, as he's a captive from Judah in the land of Babylon. Daniel chapter 6 is a story of his life under Persian rule, and he tells us of the deliverance he had from the lion's den. And of course, Daniel 7, we said, is a vision that is in the first year of King Belshazzar, which was the last king of Babylon. And tells us about the coming Messiah and his kingdom. Now as we get to Daniel 8, Daniel tells us a time reference. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar. Daniel 7 happened, that dream happened in the first year. So this is two years later after his vision of Daniel chapter 7. With the son of man and the four beasts coming out of the sea. So two years have gone by. Now we come to chapter 8, and this is accounting of another vision that Daniel had. And Daniel, as I've already said, fills in more details about these kingdoms that Nebuchadnezzar had in chapter 2, and more details about the second and third beast of chapter 7. And it's the time of Belshazzar, this takes us back really before the days of Daniel chapter 5 when Babylon was still in power. All of this was future for Daniel. And we living in 2023, have the privilege of looking back and seeing this prophecy play out in world history. And you could open up your history book, any history book, that tells, tells the events of the kingdoms of the, from 500 B.C. to the time of Christ, and you will see these prophecies fulfilled in history, not just in the Scriptures. And again, this is the point. God keeps his word. And we know that here because we look back and saying it happened. Daniel had no idea what to think of the things he saw. And we're going to see how he reacted to them and it frightened him a good deal. Daniel tells us a little bit of what he sees in verse 2. He says, "And I saw in the vision and when I saw, I was in Susa the citadel, which is in the province of Elam." And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal. In this vision, two years after Daniel chapter 7, he sees himself not in Babylon, which is where he lives at the moment. He sees himself in the city of Susa, which is a major city of the Medes and the Persians. The Medes and Persians were the empire that conquered Babylon, right? As we have talked about before. So Daniel sees himself in this vision in another place. Like God is telling him, these are the people who's next. He's not physically present, but in a vision, he sees himself in that city of the Medes and Persians. Look at verse 3. I raised my eyes and I saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns and both horns were high. But one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward, and no beast could stand before him. And there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. Again, we have another counting of animals or beasts to describe in Daniel's vision. The first thing that he sees is a ram who has two horns. The one horn is higher than the other, interestingly enough. And I want you to think and compare yourself with, compare what you have heard from the other dreams that Daniel has, specifically in Daniel chapter 7. The second kingdom, the second beast in Daniel 7, is the same one as the ram in Daniel chapter 8. And if you remember in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel said he saw a bear. And remember, the bear was raised up on one side and had one side higher than the other, like he was ready to pounce. In the same way, he sees that ram with two horns, one horn bigger than the other, bringing our imaginations back to that bear. He's talking about that same kingdom. He says that the ram, in his vision, charges westward, northward, and southward, three directions, conquering. If you remember to the bear of Daniel 7, the bear had three ribs in its mouth, symbolizing the military conquest. So here the ram charges three directions, the bear has three ribs in its mouth. Those two are the same. And again, we said in Daniel 7 that the bear with the two sides and the three ribs in his mouth was the Medo-Persian empire. And so is this ram is the Medo-Persian Empire, the empire that would overthrow Babylon where Daniel is currently living as a captive. And we don't have to speculate that this is Medo-Persia. Like, I'm not making this up because if we go to the end of the chapter, Daniel tells us because he asked for an interpretation of an angel in his vision. Tell me what this all means. And if you look at verse 18 of chapter 8, He, after he asked what this means and when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and made me stand up. He said, behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the Kings of what media and Persia. Uh, No speculation. God's Word tells us exactly what it is. That it is the Medo-Persian Empire that came next. This is what this ram is. The three nations in the three directions, interestingly, the three nations that the Medo-Persian Empire conquered, the Lydian nation, the Babylonian nation, and the Egyptian nation. North, south, west. Amazing. This happened way after Daniel. And here God is giving in vivid detail exactly how it would all take place. The Medo-Persian Empire was fierce. And indeed, nobody could stand against them as they conquered the world at that time. And they indeed did what they wanted. But here is God telling us who would overtake Babylon. In Daniel chapter 2 in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the Medo-Persian Empire was the breastplate of the statue, if you remember. It had two arms Think of two arms of the statue, two horns of the ram, the two sides of the bear, those are all the same. And it all comes to pass in stunning detail. What does Daniel see about this, what comes next? In verse 5, as I was considering, and by the way, when Daniel fell down and fell asleep, I don't think it's because he got bored. I think he was so overwhelmed by what he was seeing that he passed out and fell asleep until the angel woke him up again. Because what Daniel sees in this chapter is shocking. In verse 5, he says, As I was considering, behold, a male goat, here comes another animal, came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. So again, it gets a little weird, but Daniel sees this male goat Charging from the west over the whole face of the earth. And he looks like he's not even touching the ground. Which means he's going really fast. He's going so fast that it doesn't even look like his legs are on the ground like he is flying. Again, if you go back to Daniel 7, we're now talking about the third beast. Who is like the goat in Daniel 8. Daniel 7, the third beast, Daniel says, is like a leopard. Another fast which is a fast animal. The leopard in Daniel 7 had four wings. Again, the idea is speed. The nation that this represents conquers the world is in blazing speed. And this is exactly what happens. And this, of course, represents the Greek empire. It was the Greek empire that came after the Medo-Persian. And they shocked the world, conquering the Medo-Persians in three years. They overtook the entire kingdom. Never, done, never been done before that quickly. And here, the Greek empire, in vivid detail, God describes them as being fast, blazing speed, and they were. Charging like a goat from the west, causing war. And this is exactly what happened. And again, we don't have to speculate. Why? Because Daniel tells us the answer. Look down at verse 20 of chapter 8. As for the ram that you saw, these are the kings of Media and Persia. And the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. Yes, this second animal, this goat, is the Greek empire that came after the Medo-Persian empire. And this king of Greece, who was the king of Greece? Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was the king of Greece who conquered the Medes and Persians and established his empire. Yeah, Alexander the Great in the Bible. He's called the goat. Not because he's the greatest of all time, (laughs) but because of the similarities of a goat that's flying at blazing speed. And then in verses 5 through 7, Daniel describes for us more information on how Alexander took down the Medo-Persian Empire. At the end of verse 5, he says, "...and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath." I saw him come close to the ram and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns and the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him and there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. So here's Medo-Persia. They were powerful. No one could stand against them until Alexander comes until the Greek empire comes. And of course, all of this is fueled by the sovereignty of God, right? we talked about that. It's God who raises up kings and tears down kings. We we know that. And the ram had no more power. And now it was the goat, Greece, that stood as invincible. No nation was safe from the Greek empire and the wrath of Alexander of Macedon. Look at verse 8. Then the goat became exceedingly great. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns towards the four winds of heaven. This horn on this goat, we said, represents Alexander the Great. But Daniel sees that the horn broke. He's talking about the death of Alexander. This once fierce horn that ravaged its enemies with its wrath has now been broken and is no more. But then Daniel sees in place of that horn, I saw four horns come up out of the goat. And it's so fitting with Alexander because after going to so much combat and war, you keep smashing that horn, it'll eventually break. Yes, as mighty as Alexander was, he was... Mortal, But with his death doesn't come the end of the Greek Empire. Daniel says four horns rose up, meaning four different kings came in place of on, on, on top of that one goat. And would you know it, after Alexander died, look it up, the Greek Empire was divided into four different kingdoms. Here, I mean... Here is God in vivid detail hundreds of years before this happens telling Daniel everything that would take place. You could trust the word of God. After Alexander falls, there is four new nations that arise within the Greek empire that make up the Greek empire. Look at verse 9. Out of one of them... Out of the four horns came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven. And some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, And the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground and it will act and prosper. So one of these horns is described as a little horn. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? If you remember back to Daniel chapter 7... On the fourth beast, Daniel sees ten horns, and out of three of the horns disappear, and out comes a little horn on that fourth beast, which we said represented the Antichrist, symbolic of the a coming end times ruler who would wreak havoc on the people of God. In Daniel chapter 8, we have this another little horn, but notice it doesn't come out of the fourth beast. It comes out of the third beast. This antichrist-like figure comes out of the Greek empire, not the Roman empire. This is a different little horn altogether. This third beast described to us as a leopard and a goat in Daniel 7 and 8. And here we have another type of the antichrist. We said in Daniel 7 that The Antichrist is not just one person. There's the Antichrist that we all think about in Revelation and the end of time is just the last one in a long line of Antichrists. Evil rulers who stand up against God, who make war with God and his people. And interestingly, Daniel calls both of these rulers a little horn, one from the third beast and one from the fourth. They are not the same. They are different so this Antichrist comes from the Greek Empire. Who could this be? Well, we know. Why? Because history has played itself out. Daniel didn't know who it would be. All he saw, it was like a little horn. By looking back at history, we know exactly who it is. And his name is Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanes, who was one of those four kings that ruled one of those four. Greek sections of the Greek Empire, the Seleucid Kingdom from 175 BC to 164 BC. Antiochus Epiphanes was like a form of an Antichrist, and we're going to see exactly what he did to match the description here in Daniel chapter 8. His rule grew great. We know that. He became, out of all the four kings, the greatest king of the Greek Empire, of those four, and the most feared. And his kingdom grew, especially toward that of the glorious land, Daniel tells us. What is the glorious land? Well, if you look at Ezekiel chapter 20, the glorious land is referred to as Israel, the holy land. This Antiochus, this evil king of the Greek empire, would make war with the Jewish people. And this is why Daniel says that he... Threw stars down to the ground. Stars in the Old Testament sometimes refer to angels, sometimes they refer to the people of God. The idea here is that he made war with heaven by persecuting God's people. And Daniel says that this little horn trampled over them. And Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanes—should I call him Ant-Man for short? Because that's a long name. Um. I'll just call him Antiochus. He trampled over them. Over the course of six years, he killed thousands of Jewish people. Fitting what Daniel says here, that he trampled them down to the ground in the glorious land. This started when he overthrew the high priest Onias in the year 170 B.C., The prince of the land is most likely a reference to this high priest who was killed. And what did Antiochus do? After he threw down the high priest from the temple and banished him, he enters the temple of God in Jerusalem. Which is fascinating because in Daniel's day when he's receiving this vision, guess what? There's no temple. (laughs) It's been destroyed. But he's seeing a future temple during this third empire, right? The Greek empire. That would be standing. And he sees this. What did Antiochus do after he threw it down? He goes into the temple of God. He erects a statue to Zeus. In the temple of God. And then to make a mockery of the God of Israel. Sacrifices a pig. On the altar of God. Is that demonic or is that demonic? Very fitting for a little horn, antichrist type of person. He goes into the temple of God, desecrates the temple. Daniel chapter 11, I believe, refers to this Antiochus as the abomination of desolation. Also the Maccabees refer to that same event in that same way. Interestingly, what else did he do after he did this? He stopped all sacrifices at the temple. In Jerusalem. At the temple, he took away any kind of worship. He tried to make the Jewish people Greek. He tried to make them lose all sense of Jewishness and culture and customs, and to, so they would lose their identity and their religion and their culture. He tried to Hellenize them, which is not, nothing to do with hell, but whatever. Um, Hellenize just means to make them Greek. Hellenistic culture. He wanted the Jewish people to be completely different. He was so opposed to the God of Israel. And he threw truth to the ground. What did he do? He forbid any Jewish scriptures to be read or possessed. Evil, evil man. And during his reign, he even had a coin made with his image. And on the coin, there was an inscription with his name, that said, theos, Epiphanes, which translated means God made manifest. This guy is full of himself, isn't he? Do you see the satanic influence in here? God made manifest? Yeah, he is an antichrist. He is a trying to copy the Messiah. Satan is always up to his old tricks trying to copy what God himself would do, that God himself would be manifested in the flesh, in the person of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And here he says that he himself is Messiah. It was a tough time in Israel. And this lasted for six years. Thousands killed, worshiped, Worship taken away. And God said all this would happen. All of it. He will throw truth to the ground. He will trample the stars. The burnt offering will be taken away. The place of the sanctuary overthrown. God said it. Temple's already been overthrown once by the Babylonians. And now for this six-year period, we have another form of Antichrist coming in to make war. Look at verse 13. Daniel sees all this, and he's like, what in the world? But as he's looking in this vision, he says in verse 13, Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is this vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Daniel, in his vision, hears somebody ask, how long will this last for? How long will the temple be desecrated? How long will the offering be taken away? How long will the people of God be trampled underfoot? And there's an answer given. 2,300 evenings and mornings. Again, we're dealing with apocalyptic literature here. And as we've said before, apocalyptic apocalyptic, apocalyptic literature takes many times numbers to be symbolic of long periods of time. But usually that is with months and years. But this says days. 2,300 evenings and mornings. And there's some... Uh, different views on how to take this 2,300, but I kind of see them for what it says here, evenings and mornings being a whole day. And if you take a look at and add up what 2,300 days are, is six years. How long did Antiochus Epiphanes reign and persecute the people of God in Israel? Six years. Again. A stunning reminder that God knows what He's talking about. Before all this ever happens, God prophesies that. Amazing. And 2,300, I believe, is a round number. It doesn't have to be exactly 2,300. It's a round number, not an exact time frame. Six years and four months, to be exact. And after six years and four months, what happened? The Jews revolted by Judas Maccabees, and they overtook Jerusalem, and temple worship was reinstituted. And that is why the Jewish people today celebrate Hanukkah. What is Hanukkah? It is about the dedication of the temple. When Antiochus Epiphanes was overthrown by the Maccabees, Maccabean revolt, and temple worship resumed. In case you didn't know, that's what Hanukkah is all about. Look at verse 15. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. <laughs> I, I don't blame you, Daniel. I mean, we have the privilege of looking back and understanding these things actually happen. Daniel has no idea. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Eulai, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand up, and he said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation for first the point of time in the end. Daniel says, Help! I don't get this. Somebody help me. And they help him understand. And essentially what the angel says to him, Daniel, Daniel, this is not going to happen now. This abomination, this little horn will come later. The latter time of the end. The latter time of what? Well, the context is of the Greek empire. This did happen at the end of the Greek rule. Right before the Romans took over. Gabriel then gives more clarity on the Greek empire and the little horn. Look at verse 22. As for the horn that was broken, which is Alexander the Great, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end, see, that's the context of the latter end. When we think of end times, we're thinking, oh, the end. No, this is end time of that kingdom. At the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit... A king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. Who is that? Antiochus. Notice latter end there. It's already happened. Look at verse twenty-four. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. He shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does, and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper underneath his hand. And he did. And in his own mind, he shall become great. He thought he was. Without warning, he shall destroy many. He did. And he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, which is a reference to God. And he shall be broken, but by no human hand. Again, we see who has the last word? Who has the last word over all these evil people? Over all these evil kingdoms. It is God. It is a sovereign God which raises up kings and tears down kings, which by his sovereign rule is letting these things play out, which is ordaining them to happen so that his story will be told and he will receive the glory. And again, we have another reminder like all evil empires that have ever existed, they all have an expiration. None of them last forever. Look at verse 26. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And it was. It was 400 years later before these things would take place from Daniel's life. Don't worry, it's not going to happen now, Daniel. And what did Daniel do after he had this dream? And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. You thought you had to call out a sick work from work. That's what Daniel is doing here. He is so overcome with emotion, with despondency. He has just seen a time where it's not going to end with Babylon. It's not going to end with Medo-Persia. It's not going to end with... It's going to keep going. The oppression of the Jewish people continue many hundreds of years after Daniel's life. And the temple, which will be rebuilt, will be desecrated again? This makes him sick to his stomach. How can evil people Seem to be winning for so long. Like the angel says in the dream, How long, O Lord? How long? Like the martyrs in Revelation chapter 5 underneath the altar cry out to God, How long, O Lord? How long? When will this all be over? Maybe that's the yearning of your heart as you look at the things happening in our world and you say, how long, O Lord? How long? Daniel was overcome and was sick and stayed home for many days. He was appalled by the vision, did not understand it. You can imagine why Daniel was so shook up by this news. And can you imagine if God would tell us everything that would happen in the next 20 years? How you would feel? You'd be sick to your stomach as well. I mean, just think over the last 20 years that the things that have happened, the wars, the mass casualties, the confusion, the deception, the sin that is now rampant and accepted in every part of the world. You'd be sick too if God told you in detail what would happen. And we have the privilege of looking back at it not being so shook up because it's all over with. <laughs> and it's, these things have already happened. Daniel didn't have that luxury. All Daniel could do, which apparently he struggled with in this moment because he was so overcome by this, is to trust sovereignty of God and understand that God is telling a story this is why we call it history it's his story it's what God is telling from the beginning of time to the end for Daniel it was future for us it's past but we can trust in a sovereign God who is good Who will bring and execute justice on evildoers and save his people? Evil people do not have the last word, as we've seen through eight chapters of Daniel. Neither do any future evil kingdoms that will arise or that have already arisen. God knows what will happen, God knows how it happens, God ordains that it happens, God's counsels that it should happen. And he will purpose to do all that he wills to do for the praise of his glory. And we could trust God. I can understand why Daniel was so shook it up. We want to know the future. No, you don't. You don't. You wouldn't even be able to cope today if you knew everything that would happen to you or your loved ones or our country or world. But the one thing we do know Because even though we don't know all the things that come up, it's that God is sovereign. He has said what will happen, and I need to trust that. King Jesus is coming again. And all of his enemies will be made his footstool. He will save his people and bring them home with him and create a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. This is the truth of the Scriptures. In Isaiah 46, 8 through 11, Isaiah had this reminder from God. In chapter 46, 8, God tells Isaiah, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. Hold up. Did you hear that? God has the word when it starts, and God has the word when it ends. I declare the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things not yet done. All the things that will come up, the things that you know are happening, I have to say when they happen, how they happen, and when they happen, saying, and how can we know this, God, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. God never goes to plan B, people. He never has to reconvene a committee to say things didn't go the way we expected. Let's try this. He knew about the Medo-Persians. He knew about Alexander the Great. He knew about all the Caesars. He knew it. He has willed it. He has brought it to pass for his glory. We don't know why. We don't know all the ins and outs for his glory. He's telling a story. This is why everything that ever happens to your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you can glory in God for He is good and He is telling a story. We live in a broken world. We have much pain and heartache. People use us and abuse us and trample us underfoot. But we know that God has the last word, that God is good and all will be made right. Because God, God purposes all of this. And He even says in verse 11, calling a bird of prey from the east. The man of my counsel from a far country. Do you know what he's talking about right there? He's talking about Nebuchadnezzar. This Isaiah is warning the Jewish people about judgment that is coming. And here God is saying, I will call a bird a prey from the east. Who is that? His name is Nebuchadnezzar. I'm raising him up. The man of counsel from a far country. Who is sending Nebuchadnezzar to Judah? God. Who is sending the Medo-Persians to destroy Babylon? God. Who is sending Alexander to street medo God. Who is sending Romans to destroy? God. I call a bird to pray from these. I raise a man from a council from our country. I have spoken. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed. I will do it. Amen. Period. End of story. There you go. Trust in the sovereignty of God and be grateful that God doesn't tell you every detail of your life from now until you're gone. Trust me, you don't want to know. So what do we do with this? As we've already said, Christian, you don't have to lose sleep or be sick like Daniel. Remember that God wins. Yeah, things are bad. Things are going to get really bad, but take heart. Our God is telling a story and it must be told for His Glory. For those who are not Christians, this is very simple. Repent. Repent and believe in this God who says when things start and when they end, what is coming and what will happen. For if you do not obey Him and repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ alone, you will face His wrath. He has spoken. He will do it. All who reject the Son, all who reject the gospel will die in their sins in a lake of fire forever you will stand before god as judge he has spoken he will do it unless you repent and trust in the gospel and believe and if you haven't done that i plead you today to do that i plead with you i plead with you to tell other people to do that during the week tell your family members your neighbors your co-workers your friends tell them to repent god has spoken he will do it he will save those who believe he will judge those who die in their sins everything that daniel said was told happened and everything we are told that has not yet happened will happen trust god let's pray Father, what a glorious chapter. We come to chapters like Daniel chapter 8, and it's a little overwhelming to think of goats and rams and horns. But Lord, as I studied this week, I just gloried in that thought that we have the privilege of being on this side of history, looking back as seeing your word come true. Now Lord, countless other prophecies that we've already seen happen and take place. God, we know that we are part of your story, this history for your glory. Help us to trust you when the news is terrible. Help us to trust you when we feel trampled and persecuted and feel like there's no hope, like evil is winning. Oh God, help us to glory in you, trust you, May we not be like Daniel and go home and lay in our bed sick, worried. And I don't blame him. Help us to remember a sovereign God who is in control of all things. Help us. Pray for those people who have not yet believed, who have not yet repented of their sins, who have not trusted in Jesus Christ alone. I pray, God, that you would work by your Holy Spirit. May you draw them to yourself. May you break down the walls in their heart. Remove the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Remove the blinders from their eyes. Remove the plugs from their ears. Make the deaf hear. Make the blind see. Make the dead live. So that they can hear this glorious gospel that the Lord Jesus Christ died for sinners and rose again on the third day. So they will repent and believe in King Jesus now. Help us, God, now. In Jesus' name, amen.